This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show on 640 Toronto, where we explore the intricacies of love, connection, and the ever-evolving landscape of modern relationships. I'm your host, Laura Bellata, joined tonight by the beautiful, lovely philanthropist and media personality, <laughs> Joan Kelly Walker. <laughs> I always have Thank to you, Laura. Entrance like intro. <laughs> I always feel so good when you introduce me. Thank you. Well, you are spectacular. Oh, now, tonight we are uh, delving into the realm of non traditional partnerships. Our esteemed guest is Dr. Jolie Hamilton. It's Jolie, right? Jolie, I yes. said it right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> She's a renowned relationship coach, research psychologist, TEDx speaker, impressive, and the a best selling author a best-selling author. With her expertise, Dr. Hamilton uh, helps couples color outside the lines and create authentic, custom-built relationships that defy societal norms. Ooh, <laughs> sounds uh, pretty cool already. Now, she also runs a group called The Year of Opening, designed to guide people through the transition from monogamy to creative monogamy or consensual non-monogamy and she's here to share her wisdom and shed light on the transitions the challenges and opportunities that come along with exploring unconventional paths of love so welcome dr jolie to the show thank you so much for having me it's always a delight to talk about this topic because <laughs> who doesn't want to get juicy exactly. okay I want to get juicy, but you know what? This is an interesting <laughs> relationship dynamic that honestly, I wasn't even that familiar with creative monogamy. That's a bit of a new term. So what does that mean exactly? And how does it challenge the conventional understanding of relationships? Yeah. So creative monogamy is really just, uh, it's the way I describe to people getting really clear on where you're going to be expansive and exploratory in your partnership and where you're going to maintain exclusivity. Now, a lot of us already do this. Um, we do this by creating our relationships and yet we often don't actually have the conversations to nail down what exactly are we doing? Is this our agreement? So creative monogamy is about getting really, really clear about these areas of exclusivity and expansivity and allowing each other to really speak our truths and create um, the relationship that we actually want to have, even if that is way off the beaten path, but also it doesn't have to be so far off the beaten path. Can you give us some examples of creative monogamy, um, monogamy, sorry, practices that couples yeah. can explore? Yeah. So, you know, creative monogamy is an umbrella term and I use it simple, similarly to how consensual non-monogamy describes a whole host of relational contexts, right? Like people might describe themselves that way and might say that they're polyamorous or might say that they're swingers. They might say that they are um, relationship anarchists. And they might all fall under that umbrella. Creative monogamy is an umbrella term that covers everybody who's very clear that they are going to be monogamous in some areas of their life. So they're going to maintain exclusivity. A common one is people who have decided that they're going to own property and raise children together, but that they do really encourage expansivity, maybe in areas of deep emotional friendship, maybe in areas where there's sensual play and touch, but maybe there's not um, actual what people would think of as sex. Um, some people also will play in the area of kink. 
and say, okay, our kink experience, our BDSM, our, our spicy life, right? Maybe that can be expansive, but we still have a lot of things that are considered exclusive. So if this is like all things relationally, we can think of this as on a spectrum. Somebody who uses the term creative monogamy is going to be somebody who enjoys them understanding themselves as monogamous and also wants some expansivity. Wow. Expansivity. That's also a bit of a new term for me. So let's say I'm thinking about this. How on earth do I go to my husband after 23 years <laughs> and even start the conversation? Yeah. So I actually recorded with my own anchor partner slash husband. I recorded a conversation with him because when I did this, um, so I, I left the monogamous world and entered into, Hey, let me reinvent my life. Um, almost 15 years ago now. And when I did, I did it all the wrong way. So I created a conversation with my now husband designed to guide people through like, how do I approach this? Because in fact, it is an invitation to deeper intimacy. The conversation, like starting the conversation of like, well, how, how do we want to explore? Like, it, is it actually true for us both that we want to have a full tight couple bubble around us. And we don't want any other people to touch our emotional, sexual, sensual. Um, like there are so many domains we could talk about. Is that true? So the guided conversation is designed to take the edge off because a lot of people get really scared. Personally, I chose the two o'clock in the morning, hop in the shower with my husband and told him I, I was having feelings for somebody. I don't recommend that way. Don't oh my goodness. Not a good move. <laughs> are you guys still luck. together? I just want to know, are you still together? We are not. We, we lasted 45 days after that. I do not recommend oh it. Boy. Nope. Yeah. Nope. But However, was, I have, did he, did he have, did he have a jealousy streak at all or, or. So up until then, not particularly. Um, okay. and in fact, I didn't really know that he was going to behave the way he did because we had, we had had so many conversations about the idea of like playful, sexual, sensual, but we hadn't, it had never actually happened. And so I thought it would go over kind of, okay, sure. I guess we can explore this. And instead it went over hard. But so maybe that... he was thinking that he would get to be the playful one and you'd be the safe zone at home. Mm -hmm. That is often what, what happens is one person is thinking about it for themselves, but not for their partner. Um, in my case, that wasn't actually what happened. What happened for me is that he had only imagined, I'm very, very much a bisexual woman and he'd only imagined me with women. And so he ran into a very common problem that we see where people decide, like they, they classify everybody along this gender binary and then say, okay, sure. If you're bi, I guess you could be with women, but I'm not okay with you being with a man. And then I had feelings for a man. But aren't and it you, bro broke his brain. Yeah. But aren't you entering into a, like a danger zone when you start having feelings for someone, because isn't that the whole thing about being non-monogamous too, is, is depending, like if you are uh, engaging in a swinging lifestyle, for example, um, you don't really catch, you're not supposed to catch feelings for a person. Uh, it's just supposed to be like, okay, we're having fun for the night. And then we come home together. Um, but when you start catching feelings, I feel like that's something different. Yeah. It's an adorable concept. It really is. But I mean, yeah, we do catch feelings and anybody who says that they're going to control their feelings clearly hasn't really done their deeper work with feelings because feelings aren't controlled now how we behave, like what we do. So if I want to behave monogamously, 
100%. We, we can talk about that. And if we want to talk about how people can curtail their behavior by intentionally not putting themselves in situations where they might catch feelings, sure, absolutely. But when we talk about feelings, well, I mean, I have feelings for my friends, lots of them. I've, I, I feel warmly toward them. Where's the line exactly? Where's, where's the, where is the line between having warm feelings for a friend versus having warm feelings that might be something more unusual than that? Oh, maybe I want something more. Where is the line exactly? Mm. It's, you know, there are, there is no, there is nothing that will protect you from your feelings. You can protect, you can, you can control your behavior, but. But I can see why a partner may be hesitant to want to uh, engage Ex in such activities. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. there's the thing. So creating, like getting really clear about how you're going to create exclusivity is actually, that's important because most people are doing exclusivity by default. They're presuming that they are on the same page with their partner about how exclusivity is maintained. How do we do that? Um, I just want people to know exactly how they are going about creating that exclusivity. Is it going to be maintained by not having contact with people of a certain gender, people we're attracted to? How are we going to do that exactly? We need to take a short break, guys. Stay tuned as we delve deeper into the world of relationships and love. This is an interesting one. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. You're listening to 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata with Joan Kelly Walker this evening. We're talking to Dr. Jolie Hamilton discussing alternative relationship types that are worth taking a look at. Maybe not. Maybe they're not for you. Maybe they are. But uh, have a listen um, and let's, let's jump right back into our conversation. So before the break, we were talking about expansivity and how on earth do you start that conversation? If you're curious about it or you want to talk to your partner or your husband or your spouse or whoever, um, whoever your partner is, how do you make sure that you can have that conversation without hurting their feelings, without being misinterpreted? What is, like you mentioned, don't go in the shower with them at two in the morning <laughs> and just kind of blurt it out because it doesn't work that way. What is the best way to do that? Yeah. So I would say that there is no perfect way, just like there's no perfect way to have any tough conversation, but you can certainly set yourself up for a more successful conversation. We could start with just saying, don't start when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So hit, you know, halt. Don't, don't do that. Make sure you take care of basic bodily needs first. Second, um, go in actually knowing what your first couple of sentences are going to be. If we just start off with, you know, something that has the words, you know, open relationship. And if that's our first sentence, our partner is likely going to close down. Um, the invitation I was talking about, the invitation to know you better is in, hey, I've been, I've been hearing other people talk about open relationships. I've been hearing other people talk about getting more creative in their partnership. I'm really curious. And I would like to talk about this with you. I would like to talk about this with you, ideally, before there's another person of interest. Because once there's a person of interest, everything gets way more complicated than you need it to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Uh, <laughs> yikes, that would be scary. That would be <laughs> a very scary conversation. Uh, well, okay, let's talk about consensual non-monogamy now. What does it entail and how does it differ from other relationship styles? Yeah, and then we can I mean, probably discuss the different ones. Yeah. But. Yeah. So consensual non-monogamy, like I said, it's an umbrella term. It covers a lot of ground, right? Any place and honestly, any place where you are having a non-consensual relationship, obviously we're not fans of this. I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, let's have non-consensual relationships, but non-monogamy, um, consensual non-monogamy involves negotiating for your relationship. And it involves being again, expansive generally along the sexual lines. Like that's usually what people's minds go to, but it's not just about that. It's also about love styles and how people decide to create their families. There are, we can talk about so many different ways people live their consensual non-monogamy. The heart of all of them are that they're negotiated. Um, do we want to discuss maybe some of the different types of uh, non-monogamous relationships? I know there's polyamory. We've got the open relationships now, which have become a lot more popular, um, a swinging lifestyle. And uh, But we can talk about each of them a little bit, if you'd like, like the polyamory yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, so people the, know the difference between Yeah, the, the thing is, the most important thing you can know about the labels of consensual non-monogamy are you got to ask people what they mean when they use their label. Because if so, I actually identify as polyamorous myself, which means I, I fully embrace being open to all the feels that 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 works for me. So all the feels as well as potential sexual connection, as well as creating community, complex community. Somebody else might do polyamory and be like, well, we're okay with feelings, but we're not looking to, you know, to, to upend our households. We're not going to live with anybody else. And, and I need to get specific with other people and find out how they're using the word. So like you said, the people who are in the lifestyle, they call it, or swinging, they tend to put some, some boundaries around the idea of feelings. Sometimes they create specific rules designed to help them um, mitigate feelings. Like they'll only see another person up to three times or no kissing on the mouth, or they'll have a set of rules. Those are designed to protect their couplehood. And I mean, they work for some people and they don't for others. And then all the way over on the other end of the spectrum, we would have relationship anarchists who are fully embracing the idea that every relationship is what it is. It, it It's there to serve its own purpose and that we don't specifically place limits around them. We let relationships unfold. And then there are hundreds of other terms that people use to describe their individual relationships. Hmm. I can't help but think about, you know, if you're having this conversation with your partner and you're, you know, you're kind of leaning to trying different things, who do you tell or who do you not tell? And Dr. Jolie, you probably are very open about this. But I'm imagining a lot of couples would think the less people that know, the better. Like, yeah. is it advisable to confide in, in your mom or your friends or just to keep it quiet? Well, there's there's a whole bunch of answers for that. It depends a lot on your life. It depends on where you are in your exploration, too. So currently, one of my partners is just barely like figuring out what they're doing, right? They're not out yet in the world. Um, they're not socially out, we would say. They're not telling their parents. They're not telling their children. Now, will that change over the next year? Maybe. Um, there, how advisable it is has to do with how safe you feel and in your community, how safe you feel in your, like I happen to live in Massachusetts in the United States. And in my particular area, it's pretty safe for me to be out. Would I be as out 
if I lived somewhere else? Maybe not. So we do have to take the very real ramifications. I mean, people experience very real ramifications from being out about being different in any way. So, you know, whether I tell my mom or not has a lot to do with how well my mother is accepting who I am as a person versus judging me. Um, I'm a mom to seven kids. Like they, like I practice accepting who they are, but not everybody's at that spot in their growth. So I would say you really have to take it on a case by case basis. There's a great book called, it's called Polyamory by Rebecca Hiles and Tamara Pincus covers this subject in depth. So I, I want to ask you a personal question. So you sure. are, you identify as polyamorous and that involves having multiple emotional and romantic relationships obviously with the knowledge and consent of, of all the parties involved. How do you do it? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I, have, I mean, I mean, I have seven kids. Do I don't it? have any trouble. I, I mean, I, I have seven kids and I homeschooled them. I didn't have any trouble loving all of them. It was easy. Um, I don't, I you don't, don't get jealous. Like you don't have a oh, no. bone in your body. I, I can't no, that's, no, being no, in a no, relationship no, with a man no, that, that, no, that no. loves <laughs> someone equally as much as me. I'm like, no, I'm a Leo. Like, I'm a Leo too. I need you double to love Leo. Me, me, number one. <laughs> no, that double Leo, like born that. in the year of the dragon, ENTJ. I got it. I understand. I am a professional jealousy researcher and I still get jealous. Jealousy mm-hmm. is hard. Jealousy is though just like anger. It's an emotion. It's designed to tell us something. Um, how I craft my relationship agreements and how I actually work with my emotions. Yeah, it has a lot to do with living into the philosophy I have about um, about how I want to relate to people. Do I get jealous? Absolutely. I also get angry. I also get sad. I also experience deep joy, right? So I'm present to those emotions, but I've been researching jealousy for a long time. So now how do you navigate those feelings of jealousy then if you were to give some advice to our listeners? Sure. So in my qualitative research, I do interpretative phenomenological analysis on jealousy and um, there emerged a five-step framework that people who were navigating jealousy successfully followed. They went through noticing their jealousy in their body really early so that they could work with it proactively. Um, so that's step one, notice. Naming, they named their jealousy and then they could break it down into its constituent emotions, all of the emotions that come up with jealousy, often fear, anger, envy, shame, resentment. And then they narrated, they figured out what story they were telling themselves about jealousy, because what you think jealousy means has far more to do with how jealousy plays out in your life than anything else. Then they navigated their needs. Oftentimes that means seeing a great therapist and helping them craft really clear relationship agreements and setting boundaries and all of that. And then many of them were also able to nurture compersion. Compersion is the opposite of jealousy. It is feeling joy for another person's joy. And that takes effort and it's not required. The fifth step is some people feel a lot of compersion. Some people don't. It's not required, but it is icing on the cake if it happens for you. What do you think, Joan? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't help but think, you know, if I was in this position, I was feeling really jealous. Isn't that kind of a bell ringing to tell me, pay attention, something's yes. not quite right here, it's not settled. Yeah. And for me to have to go to a therapist to keep myself calm, maybe I should just look at the relationship and think something isn't quite right here. That's exactly, exactly what I was laying out. So jealousy is, we don't want to get rid of it. We don't want to cure it. We don't want to crush it. That would be absolutely the wrong thing to do with jealousy. Instead, what we want is to recognize it as an indicator and then to look at the relationship. If I've crafted clear agreements with my partner and they are able to uphold those agreements, yes, I might need a therapist's help to navigate my boundaries. Most 
people in couples do. But um, I also can learn neurosomatic regulation. I can learn how to work with my feelings proactively. And yeah, it's also possible that the life isn't for me. We need to take a brief intermission, ladies, oh, and stay tuned as we continue this conversation on non-monogamous relationships right after the break. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. It's Sunday night. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with myself, Laura Bellotta, and Joan Kelly Walker. And we're joined by Dr. Jolie Hamilton exploring the concept of non-monogamous relationships. <laughs> so let's get back at it. So before the break, we were talking about creative monogamy and clear agreements, because no doubt there's bound to be things that come up like anger, sadness, jealousy. How do you craft those uh, relationship agreements? Because the goal is deep joy. So what are the key factors that contribute to success in creative monogamy? Well-crafted question. I love it. So um, <laughs> the thing is, it is not simple to learn to create conscious agreements, like really well-negotiated agreements when we practiced living, understanding relationships as things that just happen, right? Like we get on the same page with someone. Most of the time we set up our agreements in like the first three weeks of our relationships. And then we just coast from there and we figure it out as we go. Creating conscious agreements means actually having some pretty complicated conversations. So some of the skills people will need is to start to identify what it is that they want and what they don't want, where their hard line boundaries are. They'll also need to figure out how to have a an edge that is like a, a yellow light where they're like, okay, we're up against it, but I'm not calling quits. Like I'm here but I'm up against my yellow light here and I'm going to need everything to slow down. And what's the consequence? What happens next now? Do we see a therapist or do we have a conversation? Do we set aside some sacred time? What do we do? Most of creating agreements is about deciding to say the things out loud that typically we think, oh, if it's really love, if it's really romantic, we don't have to say those things. Instead, we say those things. It does take effort and time. So I'm learning so much today, including a lot of new terms that I haven't been familiar with. What does it mean for a couple to embark on an individuation relationship? What does that mm. word mean? Okay. So I trained as a Jungian psychologist, um, which means I studied specifically depth psychology, the psychology okay. before, before CBT took over everything. And Carl Jung used this word individuation to describe the process of becoming your whole self, your whole and differentiated self. So not whole like a baby is whole because babies are beautiful. We love them. But whole as in like I have remembered who I am and I have shed the stuff I am not. And so to embark on that process with a partner or partners who want to also really choose that we are going to move forward prioritizing each of us becoming who we are we really truly are well it it often involves a certain holding the relationship with tenderness knowing that 
we're going to prioritize our individuation, our process of becoming. And sometimes that means we're going to feel like we're off pace from each other. Sometimes it means we're going to not feel like we really understand the basis of this relationship. It can be a little uncomfortable, but it is a great fit for people who really thrive on growth and on, on working on their stuff and on delving into like, what am I here for? So if you happen to be of that, that inclination and you happen to have a partner who is doing this together is awesome. You can also be on your individuation journey yourself, but in a relationship where you prioritize this, how my anchor partner and I talk about it is we choose growth over comfort every day. We choose growth over comfort. So some days are comfortable, some days are un uncomfortable, and the uncomfortable days are highly prized because that's where we start to really see who we are. Isn't it difficult to be in a relationship where one person is seeking individuation and the other person isn't? Yeah, and we see it happen all the time. Lots of relationships are this way. Like lots of relationships are asymmetric. And one of the ways relationships can be asymmetric, we talk about desire mismatch, where one partner wants a lot of sex and the other doesn't. Another way where people can be mismatched is in their desire for individuation. So one may be really leaning into becoming who they are, and the other may be like, I'm good. I don't want to do psychological work. I don't, I don't want to be involved in my stuff. I just want to be alive, and that's, that's good for me. Now... Typically, what we see is people who are mismatched in this way, they have to make a decision. Do they choose to stay and embark on their journey while possibly feeling like their partner is not with them, is that they're outgrowing their partner? But people do do this, not, you know, some people stay and they're like, yep, my partner is um, more of a, an anchor point at home, but they're not doing this work. Other people choose to see their relationship as if they're evolving out of it. They're like, I, I've outgrown this relationship. And then what we do from there, well, that has a lot to do with our values and beliefs and how we decide to navigate being, you know, a complicated human in a complicated world where things don't always work out. Right. So if one person is seeking individuation in the relationship and the other one's like, I'm good, I'm, I'm happy right here. Are there expectations? Like I, I know different people have different individuation goals as they grow at different times in their life. So is there any circumstance where you should have expectations of the other person to calm down their individuation journey or to get off their butt and actually do something to progress themselves? I think that's an interesting point. I think that has a lot to do with the agreements that we make. So for instance, I would say that my, my first husband and I got off track from each other. Um, but what happened was we didn't know how to negotiate about it. So in, so in fact, we didn't have the language to say, oh, we want different things now and then negotiate it. So then it became about things like sex. It became about things like having other relationships when really we needed to have a larger question about, is it okay for me to expect you to step up and, and, and come along on this ride? Is that okay for me to expect of my partner? Or is it okay for him to ask me to stay small? And when I was asked to stay small, I said, no, I can't. So I'm, I'm choosing to end this relationship as, as much as that pains me, I'm choosing to, to opt out now. There is no right answer here. What I would say is when, you, when we have expectations of partners, have we made those expectations clear? I like to ask people, 
do they have explicit agreements or do they have implicit expectations? Because a lot of us have these implicit expectations. So then we're just disappointed in our partners. And that is that of it's awful. It feels terrible to be disappointed in our partner, but it's even worse when we're disappointed about stuff we never even talked about. We never even actually agreed to. We're just disappointed because we were too, we're too scared to even have the conversation and say, I might learn something that tells me we don't belong together. And that is scary. And if you think about it on a life scale, well, do you want to live your life never having had those conversations? Mm-hmm. And, you know, just one point, no one should ever ask anyone to stay small or to yeah. stay stagnant. So that's just like wrong on every level. But also those learnings are what you carry forward into your next relationship. And that's how you grow and expand. What are the most important things that you would say that people need to keep in mind if they are seeking individuation? Well, first is that it doesn't happen all at once. Um, second is that you may go through periods where you need to rest as well. So remember that if your partner doesn't look like they're individuating enough to you, you might want to take a a quick break and and just check in because sometimes our pauses can look like stagnancy, but we're actually just resting and rejuvenating. Um, And I also like to remind people that it's okay to ask for help. You know, and help doesn't have to be therapy. Help can be seeking resources outside of yourself in all sorts of forms a lot of us struggle with our individuation journey because we don't even know we're on it, right? We don't know that we're actively trying to become ourselves. We're just sort of wandering around. So it's okay if you feel uncomfortable. I would encourage you to, to, there are some wonderful books. There are wonderful podcasts talking about this. Reach in those directions and feel supported. Like this is a normal thing for you to be doing. Yeah. And I can also see how both people, if you feel like you might be growing in your own individual ways and that how you can kind of start to lose respect for the growth that the other person is experiencing because you're so focused on your own. Um, So at this point, we're going to have to take a quick break. A wonderful conversation. We'll be right back on AM640. Show on 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Velada with Joan Kelly Walker talking to Dr. Jolie Hamilton. We are uncovering strategies to navigate desire mismatch and transform jealousy into an opportunity for deeper connection. And in this segment, guys, we're going to explore practical approaches to address these common relationship challenges. Let's get back at it. So before the break, we were talking about individuation and how it's a bit of a balance because sometimes both people feel like they are following their personal journey for growth. And sometimes there's a a bit of a problem in that. So if people are experiencing a a mismatch in their relationship, whether it's sexual or, you know, in every other aspect of their life, uh, what should they do to approach that? 
Well, desire mismatch is such a, it's such a tender topic, right? Because often what people are experiencing is a rejection, right? If there is a desire mismatch, often the person who is not getting enough of whatever it is that they want, whether that is sex or whether that is kink or whether that is like personal growth or spirituality, whatever it is, they often feel a level of rejection or just disengagement from their partner. And in that moment, you know, there are a lot of ways we could be present to what is and re like really take stock of what's going on in my relationship. Am I Am I telling myself a story that my partner is denying me what I want because it's actually really uncomfortable to face asking for what I want, negotiating for what I want? A really common way I see this show up is um, two people, desire mismatches showing up often around sex, right? That's, it's sort of, it's an easy thing to pinpoint a name and say, I'm not getting the amount of sex I want. Now, when I see these people, often one of them says, you know, I just want the normal amount of sex. And I'm like, great, tell me what the normal amount of sex is. But um bum there is no answer to that question. Get a room of a thousand sex therapists together. They'd all have a different answer. And, and their answers all would be a, a, some version of there's no normal. There's just what works for you. So in that moment when they're experiencing desire mismatch, I want to ask them, so how have you talked about this? How have you made the conversation approachable? How have you normalized talking about sex, talking about intimacy? How have you reached toward the thing you want? Because very common answer is basically, they know what I want. We've already talked about it. I can't get what I want, right? And now we're dug into a hole. And the first thing to do when we're digging a hole and we want out is to stop digging. So we, gotta, we have to pull back from the idea that there's no way to change it and start looking at, okay, well, what conversations need to happen next to shift the dynamic? And often there are conversations about old resentments, old mistrust, deep jealousy that was never actually addressed, anger. There's so much emotion can be lying under the surface of any of this. What about people um, who feel, let's say, ripped off or betrayed by their partner? because their partner has this sudden desire uh, to be in a non-monogamous relationship. Mm. I mean, is it justified to feel a little bit ripped off? Because let's just say most in most marriages, I, that's not what you sign up for. And yeah. then you just, it would never occur to you that your partner is going to come to you years later and say, hey, you know, I'm looking to explore outside of the relationship. How do I cope if this happened to me? Like, how would I cope with this? sudden um, desire that my partner may be having for a non-monogamous relationship. Like, yeah. I just don't know how to cope, how I would cope with that. Right. So there are a lot of ways you, you might take that on. And one is, and this happens all the time. I see this literally week by week. I see people coming in saying, when I brought up the topic of non-monogamy, my partner felt like, why am I not enough? Why are you doing this to me? And that is like, those are legitimate concerns. Like those are the feelings that come up. Um, they're not, they're not more legitimate than the feelings of the person who's like, I don't feel like my life fits anymore. I, so yes, I signed up for monogamy and that doesn't fit anymore. One, one of the questions I ask is not, can you be non-monogamous, but can you explore what an expansive life might look like? Or do you want to call it quits right now? Because one coping strategy is to just say, I'm done. I like, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. It's either full on default monogamy. We do not talk about this or I'm out. You get to do that. It, we are so lucky to live in a world where we get to have divorces <laughs> and 
Um, at the same time, I, so I have a client who came to me recently, really stands out in this way. She said, so he's brought these desires forward. I feel uncomfortable. I feel my own internal like prudishness. It's, I feel this pushback. It's really, really uncomfortable. And here's the thing. I know I could leave. I know I would be fine. And I'm mad at him for bringing this up. And I know I could leave, but I also love him. And this does sound like a, like an area where I'm scared and okay. So fear is my emotion. And she's like, well, I can learn to live without him right now today because I say, okay, that's a hard deal breaker for me and I'm out. Or I can spend some time being with this, learning the language of it, learning the vocabulary, figuring out what an agreement would be. And yeah, the end of that might be that we wind up divorced or it might not. She chose to go on that particular exploration, but it's not required. Because you don't know what you don't know. So to right. at least explore it and validate your partner enough. And it seems like they would be just exploring it along right. with you. So right. they oh, don't know. I, I think I would know. To it. I think I would, would know. know. I think then I leave. Would know. Then the answer would be leave. Oh, like, and that's yeah, great. The answer totally for me valid. would be leave. I'm leaving. I'm, yeah. I would know. Like, I'd want to talk more about why. Why do you want to do this? That's why a great do you question. Feel like that. Yeah. I'd want to learn all that at least before I said I'm out of here. Yeah. I so mean, I want another piece of ass. What if he says that? So, oh, yeah. Okay. Why not? Me too. <laughs> I mean, I do too. So I don't know. I mean, like, I like <laughs> sexual expansivity. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had some yesterday. They, it was great. <laughs> like, I love it. I love that you're <laughs> saying that on the air. I had some yesterday. It was great. Was this a person that you met online? Yes. Yep. And so it was something that you put forth on your, uh, on your profile and he was looking for the same thing yep. and you were open about what you were looking for. And then what happens in that kind of dynamic? I mean, are, are people for that reason or are you going out on dates first, getting to know oh, the God. person? Like, so oh, come over. Because I was talking to... A, a, a gay friend of mine and he's just like no we're on grinder and like strangers are coming over and we're having sex and we don't know each other and then it's like okay see you later it's just about sex i was like wow so, no yeah i couldn't do culture does exist right like that's a real thing but that's a real thing in monogamy too like a lot of people call that dating right they're just they're just dating people and they're not like exclusive with anybody yet but um hookup culture does exist and that's not personally what I'm really into. And most of my clients are, are leaning more toward um, an emotional level of non-monogamy as well, like, or at least open to it. And so what we do is just like what anybody would do when they're dating any other time. You go out and you meet for coffee first. You see whether there's anything. You go for dinner maybe. Okay. You, like, it just depends. It's just dating, but mm -hmm. you're honest that you're already with somebody. Okay. That's all. Yeah, interesting. Joan. <laughs> Joan, you're just wondering what is the deal breaker for you? Like if you meet them for dinner, what could they say that would you would just say, no, forget it. I mean, oh, if if like a million Laura, things. Just saying her gay friend was saying, no, we don't even know each other. We don't even know each other's names. So we're there just having sex. But, meet, but, you know, if you're meeting them for a coffee and a dinner, like that's getting to know someone. Yeah, so I'm building intimacy. Oh, I mean, I might not like somebody. I mean, I, so I, I ended a relationship with someone last week because we had been talking for a couple of months and we'd gone on several dates and that was lovely, but we, there just was no physical connection. And I didn't feel a mismatch of our, our interests and they didn't think in a way that was exciting to me. And so we had gone on some nice dates and I got to know a new person, but it didn't turn into anything. It just didn't. So it, it is exactly like any other dating 
it, there is nothing different from that perspective. It's just that everybody knows that we're also open to multiplicity. So like all of my dates know who my partners are like this. That's just part of the conversation. And when you go home to your partner, do you tell them about the date? Do they want all the details? Is that part of your agreement? Yeah. So that's different for everybody. Um, my partner ha and I have been open the whole time we've been together. Um, so 14 years. And so we do do a lot of sharing and we enjoy that. It's very fun and arousing. So yeah, we share lots of details if that's in agreement with the relationship I have with someone else. If that person is asking for more privacy, then I mean, it's all about negotiating what works for everybody in the situation, everybody in the dynamic. Mm. Guys, this has been such an interesting show. Thank you so much, Dr. Jolie, for joining us tonight. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you or learn more about what you do? Maybe they yeah. want to pick your brain about this. Yeah. So if you're interested, I would go to theyearofopening.com um, and find out more. And if you're interested in that conversation, then go to joliehamilton.com forward slash easy. The conversation that you need to have is right there. I already had it for you. So you won't have to make the horrible mistake. <laughs> Thank you. And Joan? I'm at joankellywalker.com or on Instagram, joankellywalkerofficial. Yes. And you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, official Laura Bellata as well. A lot of the past shows are on the um, dating and relationship show uh, website. Well, it's the global news website. Um, just look for well, Google the dating and relationship show on all past episodes. You can find there also on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, guys. Oh, that's right. Official Laura Bellata. That is the, the profile to check out as well. Check out singleinthecity.ca if you are single and looking. Again, another great show. Thank you so much for joining us.